You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from Lead Pastor Joshua Smith. A three and a half acre steel and glass enclosure in the middle of the desert in Oracle, Arizona. And inside this amazing, huge, multi-dome space, they've got all these different environments. Savanna and marshlands and growing agricultural plants. And, And in the middle of a desert, with rocks... Cacti, because that's a fun word, is this harbor of like amazing life. And you and I, individually and both collectively, are a biosphere for the Holy Spirit. We're a biosphere in our faith. And the biosphere is is the sum, is the added up all parts of these, these different things. The first thing is called the lithosphere. This is a geographical lesson, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, we'll go with that. And lithosphere is the rock. Alright, so if you're standing on something, when you walk outside, deeper than pavement, giant lithosphere. Alright? It's our planet. And above that, or with that, we also have the hydrosphere. Hydrosphere is, take a guess, it's water, right? Rock. Thank you, Brandon. You hurt a little more than your shoulder there, didn't you? So, hydrosphere is, is water, and obviously our planet is, is covered in water. And then above the water and above the rock is the atmosphere. You probably have heard that word a lot more than at least lithosphere, at least I had. And the biosphere is the, is the total of all of those things making up an environment or a habitat. One of those things by itself, no life. Atmosphere by itself, without rock, without water, no life. And all those things together, the biosphere, create life. And so this series we've been talking about, and we're going to continue talking about, is really important for us as a church, because what we're really doing is we're talking about, both at a personal and a collective level, is our culture. Our culture here. Our, the health of not only your personal organism, but our organization, which is, a, again, a sum of all of our individual Organisms coming together. And a culture for us is it's the environment. And just like the biosphere is the sum of our interacting values, thoughts, attitudes, spiritual maturity, and actions that define both your personal choices and your life, and also what we do here as a church and organization. And a healthy church culture, we talked about last week, a healthy church culture allows our uniqueness to shine through. In other words, the things that make us us, and the things that make you, you, really shine through. You ever want to like, drive around and like, there's so many churches. Ever drive around here and wonder that? I do sometimes. Like, I pass eight churches on my way to get here. And I'm only like two and a half miles away. Like, there's so many churches. And, and so the world thinks, why is there so many different type of churches? Because every single one is unique. Like, it's not a McDonald's thing where every McDonald's is trying to be the same. We're all actually trying and need to be different. And so a healthy church culture allows our, our unique identity as True Life Church to shine through. And also it allows your unique spiritual gifts and talents to shine through. 
Anyone not know what their spiritual gift is? We're doing something in August. You can check it out on the app on the events coming up. But here's the thing. Is your spiritual gifts and your talents, they're not meant for you. They're meant for you to share with others. So you might have an amazing talent. Let's say you can paint really well. And you paint paintings after painting after painting after painting and you keep them in your basement. No one ever sees them. No one else can appreciate their worth. You might, you might be, be a great seamstress or sewer. You might have a passion for missions, but if your mission field is your own family, no one else outside of those doors are ever going to get a chance to, to be impacted like what our youth were talking about today. Just having the experience and the opportunity to just get outside the comfort zone, like Zach was talking about, and just simply impact someone else's life. So you have spiritual gifts and talents the things that make you, you, and you get a chance to use them in a healthy church culture. In an unhealthy church culture, the culture itself will overshadow any ministry or programs. So, you know, imagine this. You've got a whole bunch of unhappy, grumpy people who are like, yay, Jesus, and you send them out into the community. What type of impact do you think that would have? Please, come to my church. We have fun. It's important. God. Like, you send those people out, and, and everyone's, of course, pouring in through, because like, what, a, what a great statement for that is. Because it's, it's, a, it's a byproduct of an unhealthy, either organizational culture, or personal culture. Like, what's going on inside of you? Like, I hope you want to be here. I hope you do. I hope you want to serve. I hope you want to do more than just sit in a chair for an hour and 17 minutes a week. I hope you want to do I hope you want to be a part of what God is doing here. And I hope you're excited about it because if you're not, either we need to fix something or you do. Size is irrelevant for a healthy church culture. Doesn't matter how big you are or how small you are. This is the cool thing about the biospheres. The biospheres actually can be contained in these little words we talked about last week called terrariums. You can go to Walmart and buy one. Um, Home Depot, whole, these little tiny little glass jars, balls, orbs, vases type of things. And you, and you can put a little, little bit, a little bit of soil and a little bit, a little bit of water. And then like put a cork in the top, right? And this creates its own little like environment. So it doesn't matter how large we are, it doesn't matter how small we are. There's a misconception, I think, of swinging both ways of the church in America, is that the small church is where you find community, right? Not necessarily. depends on how the individual will, will embrace the size of that organization. Also, then we look at like mega churches, like, okay, that's the goal. That's not the goal. There's a balance somewhere in between, and size for a healthy church culture is irrelevant. Finally, if hurt people hurt people, we talked about last week, then the opposite is also true. Loved people will love people. And I hope you know, if nothing else, today that you're loved. By both us as a church, and by God. Enough, enough for Him to send His Son to die for you. That's a lot of love. Because if you know you like I know me, we is a lot of broken. And that's a lot of love to fix that much broken. 
And the melodic line of the entire Bible shows God's desire to have a people who He can reveal His glory to and display His glory through. We talked about that last week. And we we need to be that people. We're called to be that people. A holy nation. A royal priesthood. A people set apart, not living the way the world does. So we're going to dive into the three areas that make up a biosphere. Which was, you remember? Lithosphere. Hydrosphere. Atmosphere. Man, youth is paying attention. At least one loud youth is paying attention. This is Grace. Thank you, Grace. So every single one of these things is going to be true for you, and it's going to be true for us. So let's, let's, let's dive in. Uh, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Matthew, chapter 7, verse 24. And while you're turning there, I'm going, I'm going to drop this on us. Lithosphere is the rock, right? It's the foundation of what things are or should be built upon. And if your personal spiritual foundation is weak, then our church's spiritual foundation is weak. See, we often think that, well, you know, if I'm... If, if my faith isn't that strong, if I don't read the Word of God, if I don't know what this says well enough, I'm okay because it's like the larger organization of the church will support me. But we've all heard that analogy like a, a, a weak link breaks the chain, right? This is so true because if your spiritual foundation, if your lithosphere of your faith, if your rock is like quicksand, you're going to be shaky. And your life is going to suffer the consequences before that. And also, so is our church. Because if our church is filled with a bunch of shifty, sandy, faith-filled people, we're in trouble. Jesus says, verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, those are two important things, hearing and doing, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Lithosphere, foundation, solid. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And in this parable, what Jesus says here, these two guys who built these two houses have one thing in common. They both heard what Jesus said in this parable. Both of them heard it. Because he said in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, the thing that sets these two guys apart is the doing. They both heard. Only one did. And when they built houses, one stand. One fall, go boom. And great was the fall of it. And this is why churches that are built around the persona or the personality of a, of a singular individual will fall. Either because of moral failure or time. Because he's dead. Or gone. Or she's dead or gone. And we hear about that. 
I can't, it's, the list is too long to go through from, from churches and pastors who have had failures and their ministries have suffered because of it. Or the church has closed its doors. Anyone not heard of anything like that? It's, it's all over the news. News loves to talk about it too. Pat Major, mega church pastor, has multiple affairs. It just shows you that how much you take into account your personal faith journey really does matter. Because, unfortunately, there's a lot of guys who are leading lives, leading churches, that aren't based on the rock. A few weeks ago we said, well, you know, pastors held higher. Man, pastors just up on a little platform. Yes, he's got responsibility to lead. But I'm no more holy than you are. We are the church together. And I try to do everything I can that, so you understand that as we move forward as a church culture, this church is not about, it's not about me. And we need it. If you hear nothing else today, please know that from my heart. I love you. I always, you know, right now God called me here and I see no reason for that changing. But I'm trying to do what I can to live by the word. To be on a foundation. To set an example and live by. But it's not about me. This church is about us. And us is awesome. Me, I've got issues. You, you've got issues. But us, God does something with us when we let Him have me, you. Follow me on that? And if, you're, if your spiritual foundation is weak, then our church's foundation is weak. And maybe you never thought about it that way. But this entire series is going to be encouraging you in a loving way. Let's raise the bar a bit. Let's go beyond what we did before. And it will cost something of you. Either in your time, your attitude, your talents, your gifts. How much you read or don't read the Word of God. How much you pray or don't pray. How much you share or don't share. Because our world is focused on surface level things. We have to go deeper. We have to go beyond the surface level. Because God is calling us to live a deeper, more spirit-filled life. world is surface level. They take you at your Facebook picture value. And that thing's fake anyway. Like that's the best selfie you ever took of yourself and then put it through a filter like Snapchat or Instagram or something like that that gave you eyelashes that you didn't have or makeup that you didn't put on. Or rabbit ears or something like that. Like, that's not the real you. Otherwise, we'd have to have a conversation. <laughs> Genetics would have taken leaps and advances. And we should all be very, very afraid. Anyway, that's not the real you. It's surface level. You only post what you want other people to see. And in our lives, we only let other people see what we let them they only know about us what we tell them. And some of us are pretty private people. Ever met someone that you, or were you in a relationship with someone and you thought you knew them really well? And then come to find out that maybe behind the scenes they had some major problem that they never shared with you? You're like, wow, like I've known this person for like eight years. I didn't know that was going on in their life. Why? They never told you about it. They never let you in deep enough, beyond the surface level, some, le some level of surface level, so you could really see that. 
Here's the painful truth for us. Jesus sees all of it. Knows all of it. And yet still chose to die for you for it. That's some crazy love we talk about, right? Because he says, I, I know the possibility of them finding foundation. Yes, they're broken. Yes, they've got their problems. But here's a little bit of rock to start building something upon. Here, here's a little bit of foundation so I can show you a better way to live. We need to go beyond surface level. If this series does anything else for us, I want to, to just encourage us to say, you know what, I'm going to take my own personal challenge. I'm not setting a goal for you. This is your goal for you to set for yourself. How much do you want to be connected with Jesus and with your faith through the week? Because I know for me, the only answer that I come up with is more. So do more. Because I can let you hear more until you're blue in the face, but it's the man who builds the house and does more. That matters. Our church then, not only for yes, for you personally, but our church. What is, it, what is our role? How is a church lithosphere? Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Tiny little book near the end. Two verses. And Paul's writing this to Timothy, which is a young guy in faith. He's leading a church, and he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that you know. To you know, so that if I delay, if I can't come, if I'm not there, if I can't preach, if I can't get there, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Anyone ever seen a, an amazing cathedral, like a legit cathedral, like over in France, Europe, anything like that, England, anybody? Yeah, there's even some in the States somewhere. And they're amazing. Because again, when you stand up and they just go up and up and up, and the ones that were built like over a thousand years ago, those are the really amazing ones to me. Because you're like hauling these giant blocks of stone up and like really, you know, uh, I don't know how they did that. It's just crazy. And they go up and up and it's like archaeo- not archaeology, the, the construction discovered this thing called like buttresses and pillars. They're like, hey, if we like go up like with this archy thing like this, we can, we can actually make the building taller. So that's what they did. So all these cathedrals have these buttresses, right, going up and up and up so that the building can go even higher. And that's the church with the gospel. That's how we are our lithosphere. Because the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, should, we should be doing everything we can through our pillars. This is one of the reasons, actually, in our leadership, we have them named pillar leaders. This is why. It comes back to this verse. Pillar leaders, if you didn't know that, hey, there it is. It goes back to this because everything a pillar in our churches should be able to move forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, Paul says, if, if I delay, if I can't be there, you might know how one ought to behave in the household of God. That ha- higher calling, that deeper standard of living, which is the church of the living God. A pillar and buttress of the truth. And our world needs pillars of truth. 
Where people can come and find hope and rest and peace. And yes, maybe hear the thing that they don't want to hear, but that's the thing that they need to hear. And the church holds up the gospel truth of everything we do and is about, is about talking about Jesus. That's where we need to be. That's where we're going to try to stay. Some people have often, you know, asked, and I've got other friends in ministries that have all these different types of things. Maybe they have a Zumba class or whatever, or a sewing ministry, or, uh, I don't know, you just name it. Churches do some weird things sometimes, you know, like underwater basket weaving for like, for what? I don't know, because it's underwater basket weaving, and we've got a lady in our church who's, who she thinks her spiritual gift is underwater basket weaving, and so we bring in a pool every week, and we have everyone get in their swimsuits, and we sit in the sanctuary, and we underwater basket weave for three hours. We get, we get out when we're all pruny, and why do you do that? I don't know, because there's a lady in a church who does underwater basket weaving. And like no one can really answer that. For us as true life church, what part of our culture is going to be about is that if it doesn't advance the name of Jesus Christ, we are not going to do it. We're not going to have a Zumba class just to have a Zumba class. It's not that Zumba is not cool, but like elsewhere. I don't know what Zumba is. It's a fun name. It's so, Zumba is so cool. I'm going to have to find out now. It's like jazzercise. You, you don't want to see me doing that. Our church will not be... But if we're going to have a group come together that maybe prays and does fellowship and does discipleship with each other, that's important. Even our cleaning team who comes in multiple times during the week, they're about this. Because yes, anyone can show up and clean. We've made it a, a conscious effort. Saying we're, gonna, we're not just going to clean the place. Is that important? Yes. But the primary goal is this. So we're going to work on people's hearts with devotionals and Bible studies before we clean or as we close. We're going to share communion together. Our cleaning team shares communion together when they come. Like that's what we're talking about raising the bar. That's our cleaning team. What does that look like for us in our faith? How do, we, how do we lift up the gospel in our own lives? Because if you and I are honest with ourselves, we come in here probably most Sundays and we're like, you know what, I'm not perfect. But honestly, I'm okay. Like, I wouldn't give myself 100 out of 100, but I'm like a 88. Like a 91. I'm an A. Either because or despite of what Jesus has done. So we're always ranking ourselves somewhere around this area. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good by myself. And we enter here with the wrong mindset because as the youth discovered this week, you're going to get all emotional. You're going to get all glimpsed for a whole bunch of different reasons because Jesus is going to break you down so He can build you back up. But if you're already on your own rock, you're toast. Because your own rock actually isn't rock. It's sinking sand. The only rock is Jesus Christ. So that's the lithosphere. And so really think about your, maybe as you leave today, think about what your personal foundation of faith looks like. How do you know that? How do you assess that? Is there a tool? Yes, there can be. It's called the Word of God. Outside of that, ask a friend. Ask your spouse. The person who 
sees the best and worst of you. Ask a brother or a sister. Say, hey, where do you see my faith at? Is it evident to you at all? Be prepared for some interesting answers. Because if you really want your life built on a rock, something's going to have to change. The second part of our biosphere is not lithosphere, it's not the rock, but it was the second layer of hydrosphere. Yay, people are paying attention. Okay, hydrosphere. It's water. It's water. 71% of our planet is water. And that's a lot of water. Like super amounts of water. Do you know, I'm sure you know this too, 60% of, of your body is made up of water? 60% of you is just like, boosh. If we let your skin just, you know, clean up aisle four, you know, just don't let your mind go there. Okay, we're going to get back on a, 60% of your body is made up of water, and, and for some organisms on planet Earth, it's 90% of their body is made up of water. Water is obviously very, 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 very important to life. I think our Facebook stream is going to be like, he went on repeat for a second. Yeah. Like, is this broken? No. Water is very important for life. Here's the tough reality. If the water in your life isn't flowing, it's stinking. Obviously, we're not talking about your 60%. Well, I mean, I, I flowed yesterday morning. <laughs> Thanks, Metal Musil. Like, that's not what we're talking about. Like, the spiritual in and out of the water of life for you. If it's not flowing, it's stinking. You and I know this better than most because we live near this wonderful thing called the Indian River. And if you've grown up here or lived here for, you know, a day, and you've driven down US-1, at the right time of day, usually it's like 4 o'clock, you're like... You might look at the person in the car next to you. You're like, what did you just do? Do I need to change my seats? No. It's, you're like, and you're like, do you play safety? And you're like, well, no, it's not me. It's not them. You're kids? No, it's the. You want to have a diaper blowout in the back seat? No, it's not that. Let's put on recirculate air. No, that's worse. That's worse. You know? And then you open the windows. Then you're like, no, even worse. And you can't get away from it because it stinks. Engineers didn't do their job. In 1925, there was a causeway built. A wooden causeway, a bridge across our river here in O'Galley, and actually connected to a dirt road that went to Canova Beach. And this bridge had no railings. That's fun. There's actually not a single report of anyone falling off of it, ever. <laughs> Maybe they were smarter then. Uh, no, it's. It, there's just a wooden bridge all the way across, no railings, in 1925. And that lasted until like 1944 when 200 feet of it burned. That wasn't good, right? And then in 1955, they built this swing span drawbridge, which you go out and it's like, so boats could come in, you know, and go back, right? And it took a long time, it would back up traffic. And then so people had this amazing idea, causeway. 
Let's build a co- let's, you know what? Let's build four causeways all up and down the river. This is going to be a great idea. Brought in the Army Corps of Engineers. No offense, Army Corps of Engineers. You messed this one up. And so they came in and are like, we're going to extend the land out a good bit on both sides because the causeway is too long by itself. So we can, you know, have this line thing and then boats can go without the, you know, and then it's all good. It's not going to burn up. So we have these giant causeways. And the reason our river stinks is because they built these land masses out that choked the flow of our river. And so you have these little cesspools of just swirling, because the river's trying to flow and then circles up and can't go anywhere. Imagine like 500 toilets stuck. (laughs) They just can't drain. Yeah, that's what we're smelling. Because if you've ever walked out there, like I have, to try to go fish, when I was growing up here, there were fish. Tony, you know it. Yeah, Preston, you know it. You, when I, was, I would go. I would be able to walk out there and go fishing. These weren't built until 1988. The problem wasn't that old. It's getting worse. And you walk out there now, no fish. Swirling cesspools of death and manatees have... Killed everything. It's gone. And our river smells. Yes, we can have that manatee conversation later. I'm right. Flag. Um, yeah. Not, not a manatee fan. Uh, anyway. Baseball? No, they're not manatees anymore. Uh, Exposers. Anyway. It's choked off our river. And so if, you're, if the water of your life isn't flowing, then it's stagnant and stinking. Anyone ever felt like that? Like you got to this place where like, I don't know, I just feel kind of clogged up. I can't speak because I wasn't there, but hearing from what they said and seeing the videos they posted on Facebook, I think some clogs got unstopped. This past week for our youth in camp. Maybe we need to go to camp. (laughs) Likewise, if we are not flowing as a church, in and out, being flexible, we're going to have problems. The other part of the problem with the rivers and with our water is pollution. You take one little, you know, six-pack plasticky thing and don't cut it up before you put it in the trash. It can end up there and then that, you see it around, you know, National Geographic has a picture of your six-top six plastic ring around the neck of a turtle or something, right? And of course, every one of us are proud like, I did that. That was me. That's my plastic ring. No. That's not healthy stuff and it kills life. And for us, our church can become polluted. Our water can become polluted if we come in with poor attitudes. Not right hearts. Judgmental. Condemning. Harsh words. Checked out. Don't care. Because I'm just here to check the I went to church today box. Fortunately for us, Jesus says a little bit about water. John chapter 4. We're going to read 1 through 26. 
Actually, we're gonna I'm gonna try to summarize some of this for our time. So Jesus in verse seven is coming up and he's finding this place of rest besides this this well, and it's like like midday, like hot, like Louisiana hot, right? Midday, and, and a woman from Samaria, so number one, she's a woman. Number two, she's from Samaria. This was like the, the, the area and the land and the people that the Jews didn't, we, we don't get along with them. They are subservient to us. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. We're coming back for that later. Remember that, verse 8. That's actually very important. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Thank you, John. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So for us, do you have a spring? Or is it a trickle? Or is it even there? The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. I want that living life water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Again, she's thinking this living water is like physical. Like, I just, I don't want to draw water anymore. And Jesus does a great thing about like, he, he just totally, he doesn't even answer a question. He goes off on this tangent and addresses the core of the issue. Totally changes topics on this poor lady. And Jesus said to her, you know, not about water. Hey, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. So what you said is true. He went deeper than surface level. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Well done, lady at the well. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. In other words, he's coming from, he, Jesus was a Jew. He wasn't a Christian, right? But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. You are being sought after by God today, right now, this morning, in our worship. He's seeking after you. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, or He who is called Christ. We've heard the the stories, we've heard the the prophecies, and when He comes, you know, He's going to tell us all things. And Jesus is like, boom. I'm that guy. We're going to stop here for a second. Because Jesus said so much about water in there, and we finished up and He's not talking about water because... You and I, we should be flowing in. We should be a spring welling up to eternal life. Like, a, like a, a faucet was just turned on and permanently left on. Can't be turned off. Are we letting the Holy Spirit flow through our lives like we should? Are we letting it 
change or interact our conversations. Jesus totally was talking to this woman about water. And he's like, no, let's talk about this. Do we take those opportunities with the Holy Spirit to say, you know what, we're going to change gears. I'm going to ask you not how are you today, how's your marriage? Not what do you do for a living? What church do you go to and why? I don't go to church. Let's talk about that. Like, let's start there and work our way back to what someone, what someone's job is. Because that's the least important thing. Like, let's start with what matters. Are, are we letting the, the Holy Spirit invade our, our conversations like water and flow and filter through where we should be talking about, what we should be talking about, the gospel of Christ, the pillar, again, lifting that forward in our faith? I know one thing. If Melbourne flowed like water with its churches, then Melbourne would be completely different. But we're kind of like the Indian River. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul writes this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. You don't live as the world in the futility of their minds. They, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. And I love this here because it's such a little slant. Verse 21, assuming you have heard about Him, like, you've been coming to church, I'm assuming you know about Jesus. But something in all of our lives may not be evidence of that. It's like, I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and assume you know about Jesus. Because some of the ways, he's Paul writing, and maybe true for us, some of the ways you're living doesn't show that. Assuming you have heard about Him or taught in Him as the truth in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He goes on later to obviously talk about the armor of God. A well-known passage. It's something you have to put on every day. So you and I get up, we might make coffee, we get the kids ready, we turn on the news, we check the weather, even though they don't know what they're talking about, bring an umbrella anyway. You and I go through these routines. We don't get up and like, hey, let me put on the armor of God today. Let me put on the new self today. For a lot of us, it's just the old self waking up again. And that needs to stop. The last part of our biosphere is the atmosphere. It's the air. It's what surrounds us. We, we breathe it in. An atmosphere is only held in place by the gravity of the object. Our planet is large, so it can hold a lot of atmosphere. You know what the moon doesn't have? Atmosphere? Yeah, ding, 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 yes. Atmosphere is only held in place by the gravity of the object, the size of the lithosphere, the rock. And so if your foundation is oh, itty bit, guess what surrounds you? Itty bitty environment. Itty bitty opportunity for someone else to breathe in your experience with Jesus Christ. 
It's like genie in the lamp. Eedy be living space. If you have no rock, you have no atmosphere. We're going to close actually with this. We're going to go back to John. Should have told you. Keep your finger there. John chapter 4. And remember I said, keep that, uh, that's actually very important in verse 8, for the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So the disciples, they want to go you know, buy food, and then this whole time Jesus is having this conversation with this woman at the well about water and the living water and all that kind of stuff, and oh, by the way, hi, I'm Jesus Christ. And actually in the Gospel of John, this is the first time he says that. It's not to his disciples, it's to this Samaritan woman at the well. It's like, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Because they haven't figured it out yet. And the disciples, they come back. Verse 27, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said. No one intervened. No one went to talk to the woman. No one interjected themselves in the conversation. No one cared. They said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left. She left her water jar and went away into town. And she said to the people, not the disciples, come See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So this lady goes into town, tells other people about the Christ she just found out, and bringing people back. Meanwhile, the disciples were so concerned with the food that they went to go purchase their own agendas, their issues, what their goals and their desires and their wants and their needs are like, Oh, me, 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 I got food for Jesus. Jesus, you need to eat my food. Come, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus said, you know, I, I have food to eat that you don't talk about. He's like, are you kidding me? I just went and spent $38 on bread? What do you mean you had food? Is it stuffed up under your tunic or something? Jesus, I just went to town to go buy food. Now you come back and say, oh, I've got food. The disciples said to one another, has anyone brought us something to eat? This is, what the, this is what's going on in their brain. And it's funny to us because that's us. Jesus said to him, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest, like you're washing your calendars? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. It's already here. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. He's talking about her, the woman at the well who's left to go into town to tell other people about Jesus. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, because of a Samaritan woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That's all she said. They gave her, they gave us her testimony. Right there. He told me all that I ever did. It's not wordy. It's not long. It's not filled with amazing, you know, grammar. It's real. It's simple. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And Jesus actually stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for now we have heard this ourselves. Like you started the process for us. But now I've heard this guy for himself. I've heard him speak. I've seen him love. All that kind of stuff. I believe it now. Myself. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. 
The ironic part of this whole story is that the disciples of Jesus Christ weren't concerned about atmosphere. The disciples were so focused on their agendas, their personal needs, their wants, their glory of saying, I brought food to the Savior. Look what I've done. But it's the Samaritan woman at the well who went into town and said, I got some atmosphere to share with you. You need to breathe this in because it's going to change your life. And she brought them back with her to the well and they're like, we want to spend more time with this guy. And guess what Jesus says? Okay. Yeah, what? Yeah, and he just, he says, we're going to spend more time with Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, I will spend more time with you. And this is where atmosphere gets us. Because when we've got a foundation of faith built on the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we're letting that spirit flow in and out of our lives the way it's designed to, then by the gravity of those two things is attracted an atmosphere. And I tell you what, other people know whether or not you know Jesus. I mean really know Jesus. I'm not talking about, they don't know how long you've been coming to church. They don't know if you were baptized when you were five. They don't know that. They do know if you know Jesus. Because your life looks different. You've got an atmosphere around you. And your name might be Miss Bethany Butterfield. She had an atmosphere, I bet, right? I don't, I don't have to know that. I hear the kids talking about her. Miss Bethany Butterfield's atmosphere has now come down to Florida. You ever think about that? The impact that you can have on someone else's life for Jesus? You've got one. Either way. What does it look like? Because for our biosphere, as a church, and your biosphere is you, to flourish and have life, all three of those things have to be working together. That's my hope for us this week. Go home and talk about this with your families. Ask your kids. The kids who are in. They're old enough to understand that. Because his word is simple. My two-year-old son. Church? 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 Gets excited. He knows what's going on here. This place is special. Because of what God's doing here. And we're special because of what he's done as us. In us. And through us. Who else knows you're special? And are you living like you should be? I don't care what the clock says. It says 12.05, 12.04. And I'd be here all day. And yeah, I'm going to make some of you feel guilty. If you got to go, that's fine. But for me, I want to be in my father's house. I want to sing a song with you guys. You okay with that? Can we close in song and let's worship together?